says Jesus spoke to them again in parables. Now the them are the chief priest and the Pharisees. And we know that from Matthew chapter 21 verse 45, which reads, when the chief priest and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. So Jesus is speaking to the chief priests and the Pharisees again in Matthew 22. And, and look at the conclusion of this parable in Matthew chapter 22:14, where Jesus says, For many are invited, but few are chosen. He is plainly telling the Pharisees they are not with God now, and they will be separated from God forever. And now, now think about it. To inform people who think they will be with God forever. They look forward to that day. They teach others the way to God. They think they're right with God to tell them that actually they are outside of the kingdom of God. That will not enhance your popularity, will it? In fact, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus heals on the Sabbath. And in verse 14 of Matthew 12, we read these words. The Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. That's Matthew 12, 14. So that idea, that intention, that desire, that hatred remains with the Pharisees against Jesus as we enter Matthew 22. And look again at the end of Matthew 21, verses 45 through 46. When the chief priest and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. In verse 46, they looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. So as we enter Matthew 22, we have some of the people believing that Jesus was a prophet. In other words, that Jesus was sent from God. The vast majority of the Pharisees did not think Jesus was from God. They thought his teaching was heretical, was dangerous, was harmful, that it violated God's truth. But they, they watched as Jesus grew in enormous popularity. So their intent to get rid of Jesus was, in their minds, good. In the Pharisees' mind, the intent to kill Jesus was noble, even a holy thing to do. Now, Jesus was, as you know, constantly critical of the Pharisees. Uh, you look at Matthew 21, 43. It says, therefore, I tell you, speaking to the Pharisees, that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. And basically, that's the conclusion of the parables in Mark, in Luke, and in Matthew, which precede the teaching under consideration today. So again, Jesus is constantly criticizing the Pharisees, teaching them that they're separate from, from God, and the Pharisees hate Jesus and want to kill him. That's the background of these verses. So let's look at Matthew 22 in verses 15 and 16. Again, we find these words. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him, that is Jesus, in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Now, the Herodians were a, a political group who got their name because they supported the rule and the reign of Herods in Judea. Now, Herods were kings who ruled in Judea by permission of and under the authority of Rome. The vast majority of the Jews never accepted the rule of these Herods. 
But the Herodians thought the best thing for Israel was to fully embrace to and submit to the might of Rome uh, for the wealth and for the peace and the future prosperity of Israel. Now, this belief from the Herodians put them in direct conflict with the Pharisees. The Pharisees wanted the Jews to be able to follow God and his laws independently with no foreign influence. So these two groups were fundamentally opposed on each and every point. And that's because, according, but here they, they appear united. They appear united for this public confrontation with Jesus. And that's because, according to Mark chapter 3, verse 6, both parties wanted Jesus dead. In Mark chapter 3, we read, Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. The Herodians were in agreement to kill Jesus because that was Herod's desire. They followed Herod. They supported Herod. And in Luke 13, 31, we find these words. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. So Herod wanted to kill Jesus. So the Herodians agreed that, yeah, that's a good thing to do. And they got together with the Pharisees. And so here they come, the Herodians and the Pharisees. They come to Jesus publicly. What they do is they hope to embarrass Jesus. They want to belittle Jesus. They want to sway this. this remember, Jesus is growing in popularity. Uh, the Pharisees wanted to sway public opinion against Jesus and unto them. So this was a hypocritical friendship. It was giving this message, though, to the people. This is the message. You know, we are the Pharisees, and we represent God, so we have his approval. And here are the Herodians. They represent Rome. So the legal and the religious establishments, Jesus, they're against you. So who supports you? Who do you represent, Jesus? And to the people, they're asking the question, how can you and why should you support him? He has no authority except his own. That's the picture the Pharisees are trying to paint to the public. And to prove that Jesus has no authority except his own, to prove that Rome is not for him, and to prove that the religious establishment is not for him, they, they ask a question. And the trap is this. If Jesus says that paying taxes is illegal, if Jesus says paying taxes is wrong, then the Romans have a legal reason to kill him on the grounds of sedition, that is, encouraging public rebellion against the authorities. But if Jesus says, no, it's okay to pay the tax, it's legal, then the people will be angry with Jesus, and his popularity would greatly decline because the people hate Roman rule. What would Jesus do? Well, let's read the question and then discuss Jesus' answer. From the middle of verse 16 in Matthew 22, we find these words. Teacher, they said, we know you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay, is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Now, a hypocrite, as we know, is someone who acts in a way opposite to what he believes. Now, the words spoken to Jesus are not what the Pharisees and the Herodians believed. Then why were these words spoken? Well, one reason, it was good for public relations. 
The Pharisees were in a very public battle with Jesus. And what was at stake was very high. Who would capture the attention of the people? Jesus, who the Pharisees thought was a heretic, or the Pharisees? Whose authority would the people respect? Jesus or the Pharisees? Who had the truth? The Pharisees or Jesus? Well, keep your finger in Matthew 22. Let me give you some background as to how this public confrontation came about. Turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And in verse 47 of John chapter 11. John eleven forty-seven. There's a big public relations battle going on. Who would be most popular? Who would win out on the battle for respect and authority? And in John eleven forty-seven, we find these words. Then the chief priest and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they ask? Here is this man, that is Jesus, performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. So you see, the stakes were very high. The Pharisees feared that if Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, the people would believe him and make him king. And that would mean that the nation of Israel would be in rebellion to the Roman emperor. The anticipated result, as you can see from this meeting, this is what they were discussing, was that the Roman army would come in, would end temple worship, and destroy the rebellious nation of Israel. So these were high stakes indeed, at least in the Pharisees' mind. And listen to the proposed solution in verses 49 and 50. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. In other words, it's better that one renegade false teacher, one loose cannon die, and we be saved, than this deceiver live, is installed as king, and we all die. And then again in verse 53, so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Well, let's fast forward to today, because today, just like back then, (laughs) murder Murder is messy business, isn't it? It's scary. It's quite risky, too. I mean, you could be killed trying to kill someone, or you could be caught and imprisoned for life. So today, what do we do when we want to kill someone, when we want someone out of our life, instead of murdering them, we do other things instead, don't we? We gossip against them. We bully them. We intimidate them. We ignore them. Anybody ever done that? We argue with them. We seek revenge against them. This is what we've all done at some point in our lives. Perhaps it's what we still do. Surely we've had it done to us. That's why in Matthew 5, 21 and 22, Jesus says this. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But... I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, listen to this, will be in danger of the fire of hell. 
See, what Jesus is simply saying is the motivation and the reasoning behind murder is, get this, the exact same motivation and reasoning behind anger and gossip and bullying and revenge, etc., etc. Now, remember, the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus. Remember, murder is a messy business. It's scary. It's risky. And what the Bible says happened is, is the Pharisees keep having this, these, these meetings, and they keep coming up with ideas to kill him, uh, to get rid of Jesus without actually killing him. And we know that from John twelve seventeen through 19, where it says this. This is after Lazarus was raised from the dead, and it says, Now the crowd that was with him, with Jesus, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. And in verse 18, many people, because they had heard that he, Jesus, had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. And look at the conclusion as the Pharisees observed this in, Matthew, in John twelve nineteen. This is what's recorded. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. In other words, the Pharisees were having these meetings. They wanted to kill Jesus without actually killing him. So they kept coming up with plans like we do, bully him, intimidate him, harass him, humiliate him. Those were the ideas they kept trying instead of actually killing him. And they realized it's not working. So now all bets are off. They knew they had to actually kill him. And so Jesus says in John 12, 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he begins to talk about his death, which was going to happen within seven days' time. So back to Matthew 22. You see, so one of the ideas that had come out of these meetings is what we're reading here in Matthew 22. The idea is, hey, let's, let's do something that enhances our reputation and harms Jesus' reputation. And so one thing they decided to do was, let, let's appear publicly with the Herodians. Let's make it look like Jesus doesn't have a proverbial leg to stand on. The religious establishment is against him. The legal establishment is against him. Who's supporting him? Another idea they came up with was, let's, let's butter him up. Let's, let's butter him up. Why do they butter him up? Well, for the same reason we butter people up. I think about it. Maybe if we butter them up, we can have our way with them. Maybe we can get from them what we want. You ever done that? Ever had that done to you? My daughter Grace wants her own mobile phone. One of the criteria we have discussed with her is showing responsibility. So sometimes after Grace does housework immediately and without complaint, she'll say, see, I'm responsible. Now I can have a phone. And how about when you're buttered up? Sometimes when you're buttered up, someone speaks highly of you, they compliment you. How do you feel? Doesn't your ego get inflated? You begin to focus on your supposed worth and the love and respect these people are showing you. And what happens? You might drop your guard. You might say something that actually helps your enemy. That's what the Pharisees were trying to do with Jesus. Butter him up. He'll drop his guard. He'll feel good about himself. and He'll say something that will trap him in his own words. And that's exactly what we read in verse 15 of Matthew 22. The Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. Some of you may remember this. Remember, think back to 1973 and 74. I was in America, and I was watching this riveting, captivating, infamous story unfold in America. I didn't understand it all at the time. I know more now, but I was 
I've always had this interest in politics, and I watch, remember Nixon and Watergate? And I watch Nixon, the president of America, and his responses to Watergate. Now, it turned out that Nixon had taped every single conversation he had, and when finally he was forced to turn all of the full tapes over, it was evident, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that Nixon knew everything about the Watergate scandal and that he, he himself, had ordered the cover-up. He immediately resigned. He was out of power. He was out of the White House. His own words caused his downfall. That's what the Pharisees hoped would happen here with Jesus. They wouldn't have to kill him. He would fall on his own sword. He would shoot himself in the foot. He would become yesterday's news. So when they said in verse 16, you aren't swayed by men, the Pharisees didn't believe that because obviously they thought they could sway him. <laughs> Hypocrites. When they said in verse 16, you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth, the Pharisees didn't believe that or they would have followed Jesus. Hypocrites. So rightly that Jesus called them hypocrites. So they're hypocrites in their friendship with the Herodians or their supposed friendship with the Herodians. They're hypocrites in their words. And then they're hypocrites in this matter of the coin. Next slide, please. And let me read to you from Matthew 22, verses 19 through 21. Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Now, when Jesus used the word image, two prominent and obvious teachings would have come into the Pharisees' minds. And let me ask you, when I say image, think about it. What two very prominent, very easy Old Testament Bible verses or teachings on image come to mind? And that's not a rhetorical question. Let's have an answer. When I say image, what two teachings or Bible verses on image spring to your mind? What might they be? The image of God. The image of God is one, and what's the other? The Ten Commandments make no false images. Exactly. They come to your mind. They would come to the Pharisees' mind. Genesis 1.26, man is created in the image of God in the Ten Commandments. Uh, second commandment, make no graven images in Exodus 20. Now on the coin, as you see, the denarius, there's the image of Caesar. And the inscription reads, roughly, Tiberius Caesar, son of divine Augustus. Now the law, the Jewish law, forbids graven images. And their inscription accompanying this image indicates there's another divine being besides God. That's horror to the Jews. And what Jesus does is he exposes the Pharisees' hypocrisy by asking for denarius, and the Pharisees easily produce one. They're in violation of their own law. But the main point Jesus wants to make is this. If a government can issue money, which it can, it can also make requirements as to how that money can be used, including asking their money be used to pay taxes. And that's a vital point. Because if the image of Caesar on a coin means you give back to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, then we consider the idea of the image of God stamped, as it were, on humans. 
if humans belong to God, we ought to give back to God what belongs to God, that is, our lives. The main hypocrisy of the Pharisees was that they did not give God their lives. They were their own masters, although they claimed they belonged to God. So when Jesus said, give back to Caesar's what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's, the Pharisees knew exactly what he meant. And in verse 22, they were amazed. They had laid plans, remember, to trap Jesus in his words, but Jesus had turned the tables and trapped them in their own words. And in verse 22, so they left him and went away. Now, I've experienced this. Let me, let me tell you what happens. There are times when I'm evangelizing, when God gives me words that, that hit home with the person I'm sharing with. It doesn't have to be anything dramatic, just, just an answer that amazes them. It, it, it stumps them. It stops them in their tracks, as it were. It happened uh, just last Monday. There's a man who answered the door with no shirt on. Remember, it was very hot that day. And I was with a lady named Val. So out of respect, he, he goes and, and puts a shirt on. He has all the time in the world. He, he settles He's comfortable. He's asking question after question. We're having a good, calm discussion for at least 15 minutes. Then I forget what he asked, but God gave me an answer that amazed him. Now, what happens, I believe, in that moment of amazement is God is, is convicting them that he is real and that the answer they're hearing is true. And I believe there's a spiritual battle going on in that moment. And sometimes I've seen it played out in the body language on the other person or the expression on their face. With this man, there was a dramatic pause. And I see on his face, he's under conviction. So I wait, see what he's going to say. And you know what was the very next thing he said? He said, I need to get back to work. Now, I've heard all sorts of excuses for people ending conversations with me, usually because they simply aren't interested. But sometimes, after a person was not in any sort of hurry, when they were happily discussing, they are amazed. And then suddenly, they remember dinner or a phone call they must make right then. And like the Pharisees, they left him and went away. Sometimes the Bible describes a physical action which also has spiritual significance. And verse 27 is one of these times. They're not just leaving Jesus. See, spiritually, they are leaving salvation. And you can insert the word further into the next phrase without harming the spiritual implications and say they went further away. Further away from salvation, that is. They hardened their hearts. The Bible says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. When the Pharisees were amazed, they were hearing God's voice, and they walked away. They could have repented and have been saved, but they walked away. The Bible also says the fool says in his heart, there is no God. I urge you, don't be a fool. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't. Leave him and go further away. If you have been born again and God is speaking to you, don't harden your heart. Answer his call. If you are not born again, but maybe you're amazed right now, you're amazed God's truth is hitting home. Do not leave him and go away. Come to Jesus. Let's pray.
Father, thank you that you are amazing and that you amaze us. Father, teach us to respond correctly to your voice. Amen. Thank you, Mark.